you can have a seat, man. Thanks for being here. As you are having a seat, why don't you turn to the person on the right and say, I'm glad you're here. Hey, uh, I would love for our pastors to uh, just, would you guys just mind standing up, pastors and your spouses, if your spouses are in the room with you, go ahead, stand up, don't be shy here, you're all in the front row. Um, but uh, I wanted to, don't applaud yet, you're going to give you the opportunity, but I just wanted to recognize them. We don't do that very often because we try as best we can to not make anything about us uh, because who cares about us? I mean, Bayou City Fellowship will be in, in the wind one day. It won't exist. And uh, hopefully that's a long, long, long time from now after our great, 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 great grandchildren are dead. But one day Jesus is going to come back and, and the church is not going to be needed uh, because he will be with us. But until then, he assigns tremendous responsibility and anointing to the pastors of churches. And these folks pastor you and lead you and shepherd you week in and week out. And uh, we don't recognize them very often, but I was just feeling that in my spirit today. This church does not exist without them, or if it does exist, it stinks. Um, And so if you have ever enjoyed being at this church one time, would you please thank them uh, for their hard work? And uh, we have a humongous team now, and, uh, and most of them, or you know, not all of them are represented here, but um, we're so grateful, and I think almost all of us, myself included, we started as volunteers, and then we just were part-time, and, and then some of us are, this is our full-time job, but um, it, it's not very fun to be on our church staff because we work really, really hard. Uh, but it is the most fruitful thing on planet Earth, I think. And I would rather uh, be at work at this church for the amazing people that go here uh, than anywhere else on the planet. So thanks for being here. Uh, turn your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. We're making our way through Colossians. It's my son Jackson's eighth birthday tomorrow. And so when he was born, I was 25 years old, which... I was barely, you know, able to be a man, let alone a dad. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing, and that was obvious to everyone around. But because it feels like a lifetime, you know, eight years is, you know, I know it's not that long, and if you're like a parent of a teenager, I don't need you to come up and give me like the speech, like, you know, just wait, just wait, all right? Well, I don't know that, so I'm just telling you what I'm feeling right now. And uh, it feels like a long time, like, man, eight years is a long time. So I don't have a tremendous amount of memories, you know, or at least I can't just recall them off the top of my head. But there are some things that bring me back to right after he was born. And one of the things that brings me back is the smell of baby powder. You know, and I don't know if you have any reason to have baby, baby powder in your home, but you should because it's amazing and it smells wonderful and it's nice and it's pleasing and it's comforting. And, and I just loved baby powder when Jackson was a baby you know, because you would uh, put it like on these rags, you know, these little white cloths and put it in their diaper and just so sweet. There are smells, by the way, that, you, that don't take you back to a pleasant place, <laughs> but this is one that does. And, and for some reason, these two things, this cloth and, and this baby powder, just gets, it stirs up all these memories because it's just a smell of freshness and, uh, you know, clean. And it's, it's, just, it's just really just pleasing, you know, like... After we'd give him a little bath, you know, we'd put baby powder on. Sometimes when I was in charge, I wouldn't even give him a bath. You know, I just dumped the baby powder on him. That's good enough. I may or may not still be bathing my children like that. And that's so, you know, it doesn't matter. Just get out of here. I'm in a hurry. Um, so there have this picture. And then while you were worshiping earlier, I was in the parking lot uh, with a, what started out as a white 
cloth. It's, it's not white anymore because uh, I was washing your car. Um, not all of your cars. I didn't have time for that, but uh, uh, I was going around. I'm sorry. Next week. Next week. Um, but uh, I wasn't really washing your car. I actually started with mine and actually just the wheels of uh, our car, and this is what it, what it, it turned into, and it's, it's pretty gross. But I wonder, I was thinking about this this week, and here's the question that I, I came to get an answer from you. When you imagine one day, I mean, we just sang the song, that one day we're going to see Jesus' face in all of its holiness and radiance and worth and glory. Like, that is actually going to happen. It doesn't matter if you are a believer today or an unbeliever. It's appointed for us all to die once and then the judgment. So all of us are going to have a face-to-face encounter in some way with Jesus, the glorious Son of God. So when you picture that, when you think of all the angels proclaiming worthy is the Lamb, when you think of all those things, what do you feel more like? Do you feel more like the clean, pure, and fresh? Or do you feel stained and dirty and gross? I mean, when you imagine yourself standing before God, like, do you imagine yourself standing there in all of His holiness, going, I'm clean, I... I'm clean. I I feel pure. I feel good about this moment. I'm able to hold my head up. Or do you feel ashamed, like just the way that you did when I said I was out washing your car because you were like, oh man, I wish I'd washed it on the way here. Don't think bad thoughts about me. I mean, what do you feel like? I mean, because the reality is most of us don't feel in comparison to being in the presence of God, clean and, and pure and fresh. But what I hope to prove to you from the scripture today And more than what I hope to prove to you, what I hope to convince your mind of and your thinking of is that you are pure and clean before God because of this powerful word, forgiven. I want you to turn to your person on your left. They were feeling left out earlier and tell them that you've been forgiven. Say, I've been forgiven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they sound convinced. (laughs) Colossians chapter 1. Verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There are three things I would love for you to write down, three points this morning. Number one, forgiveness is a rescue mission. Forgiveness is a rescue mission. Because it says that He delivered us, God delivered us, from the domain of darkness. Deliverance is a rescue word. It means that you've been saved. I doubt that's the identity that most of us are living with, though. It may be a religious word that at one point in your life you have applied to yourself, but it's not anybody's identity because to be saved meant that you needed to be rescued. It meant that you had some need that you were not able to meet yourself, and that makes us feel very vulnerable. Because if we have issues, correction, If I have issues, I want to be the one to discover those issues and fix them before anybody else notices. It's terribly embarrassing when my issues, when my weaknesses, when my limitations are exposed publicly. And it's even more embarrassing, isn't it? When we have to turn to somebody and say, the resources to fix this, I don't have. 
So we don't live with this identity of being saved and being rescued because inherently it is a knock against our own ability. But the truth is, is that we all needed to be rescued. We all needed to be delivered. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 2. I want to show you the... I want to show you how Jesus thinks about forgiveness. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And when he had returned to Capernaum, that's Jesus, after some days it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And he immediately, and immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So Jesus is teaching and he's so compelling in this town that the house is overflowing with people. Like you couldn't even get into an overflow situation. The, you couldn't even get in the hallway. That's how many people were there. Meanwhile, in the town, there are four friends uh, who have a friend who is paralyzed and they care about this friend. They love this friend. And so they're like, we've heard about Jesus. Let's take him To Jesus, because Jesus, we've heard, does real miracles, not religious miracles. He does real miracles, and let's see what he can do with our friend. So they pick him up, and they get, get there, but they can't even get in. They can't even get in the hallway. They can't squeeze their way in, but they're not going to be hindered. They climb up on the roof, and they start tearing a hole in the roof to lower him down. Now imagine Jesus is in there teaching, and you can start, you know, hearing stuff going on on the roof. Like, how awkward was it? Like, should I say something? Should I not say something? Should we pause here? And in the middle of Jesus' teaching, the roof flies open and they lower this man down. Now, you can feel in the story the buildup, right? They're, they're hindered. They won't be stopped. They're climbing. I mean, you can picture it as a, a movie and they, they lower him down. Big dramatic music. There he is with Jesus. Jesus is, this is Jesus' moment. This is why we carried him to Jesus. This is why we work so hard so for this moment right here. And Jesus says, your sins have been forgiven. Now, what do you think those friends thought? <laughs> That's not why we brought him. That's great. Glad. Good for him. He can't walk. This is the issue that brought us here. But Jesus seems to be finished. Your sins are forgiven. Were they disappointed? Were they looking for the... 
Because the priority for Jesus is forgiveness. In fact, he only heals this man because the religious leaders were questioning his ability to forgive. The healing was only to prove that forgiveness was the priority. And Jesus is able to forgive. So for you and I, I don't know what brought you to church today or a year ago or 10 years ago. I don't know what it was that you were looking for. Maybe to get your life straight. Maybe you just felt bad and you were living under some kind of conviction or some condemnation. Maybe you have kids and you're like, I want to raise my kids in church. I don't really care about it, but I want to get them here. I don't know what brought you here, but whatever brought you here is secondary to you being forgiven. Forgiveness is his primary miracle in this story. And forgiveness is a rescue mission. Because everything else in your life is temporary. Everything is temporary. If you have some kind of physical issue and illness, it's real, but it's temporary. It won't, you won't have that physical issue in eternal life. Whatever financial issue you have right now that is weighing down on your soul, it's important. And I believe God wants to intervene in some way. But it's secondary. Because it's not eternal. It's temporary. You will not have money issues in eternal life. You're having problems with your children. They're just not getting it. They're not living the way that you you want them to live. They're not. It's just a struggle right now. It's important. It's very, very important. But it's temporary. Your children in Christ will be just the way that you want it to be in eternal life. But forgiveness, that's an eternal issue. That's a forever issue. So all of our other reasons for coming to God are secondary to an issue like forgiveness because it's eternal. And what does it say? We've been rescued from the domain of darkness. It's an authority issue here at play In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, there's the authority of the domain of darkness and there's the authority of the kingdom of Jesus. And it says, the scripture points out in here that we were in the domain of darkness. That's just a reality. Every single one of us are born into it and willingly take on the culture of the domain of darkness. No one had to talk me in to doing wrong things and being influenced by darkness. That was where we were. We needed to be rescued from that domain and that's a priority through forgiveness. Now, the domain of darkness is difficult to recognize because it doesn't look that dark. And it makes sense. The scripture says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So it makes sense that he would try to camouflage his dominion and his authority as light. So he's going to do whatever he can to kill you to steal from you, and to destroy you. Jesus said, this is the agenda of Satan. So if you're ever wondering, like, is it bad? Is it really bad? Is it super bad? It is. His agenda for you is terrible. It's to steal from you, it's to kill you, and it is to destroy you. But he knows if he comes to you with that agenda, hey, give in to this temptation because I want to destroy you. You're a smart person. You will run from that. That's a warning sign. No one would do that. So, so he just camouflages his dominion with light, which means that you and I need to learn the incredible skill and necessary ability to discern. Say that with me, discern. Because the domain of darkness, the fruit of it is evident. 
The reality of it is invisible. It's a dominion that we can't see. We can see the evidence. We can see the fruit. But that's a spiritual thing. And you need a spiritual ability to discern that. But we need to be rescued out. And forgiveness rescues us. The second thing I would love for you to write down this morning. Forgiveness gives us a new home. Forgiveness gives us a new home. So we've been rescued. We've been delivered. We've been saved out of the dominion of darkness. But what happens next? When Amanda and I were engaged, this is probably about 10 or 15 years ago, I was driving from uh, College Station where she was going to school to back uh, to Houston where I was living at the time. And it was really, really late at night, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, something like that. And it was pouring rain, like a Houston-type rain, you know, where you just can barely see. And so I'm creeping down 290, you know, 30 miles an hour, much like I did yesterday, uh, you know, because uh, the traffic there is terrible. And so, but it's midnight, it's midnight, and it's raining, and it's horrible. But I'm going really, really slow. And up ahead, I see this car pulled over to the side of the road with their hood up. And a man kind of leaned over, and he's just totally drenched. And so I have that battle where, you know, like, should I have compassion on him? But if I have compassion on him, it means, like, I'm not having compassion on myself. And, you know, I, I, love, I love to give compassion to myself. It's, you know, this, I'm, a, I'm a favorite person to be compassionate towards. I think, you know what, you know, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the right thing, and I'm going to pull over. So I pull over. Long story short, his car's terrible, and I'm like, where do you want me to take you? He's like, well, I'm, I'm headed to work, and I'm staying with my sister, and he kind of got into a long story. Really, he didn't really have a place. So I had to thought for just one second. Should I take him home with me? And then I was like, no. That's it. That's the end of the story. And, I mean, I, I dropped him off somewhere. You thought there was going to be some big moment, like, <laughs> but there wasn't. That was it. I dropped him off somewhere. Because that's what somebody would do, Right? in the rain with a stranger in the middle of the night. But Jesus rescued you. He pulled over for you. And where did he take you? The scripture says. He delivered you from the domain of darkness, but he transferred you to the kingdom of God's son, whom he loves. This is unbelievable. It's very simple, but it's mind-blowing because he didn't just save you from something. He saved you to something. He has given you a new address. And the new address is unbelievable in God's kingdom. I want you to turn to John chapter 14. This is what Jesus said in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So here's the amazing thing, that Jesus gives you a new address, and that address is with him. How many of you have ever heard from this verse that God uh, has a mansion waiting on you in heaven? Just show of hands, please. Just throw it up there real big. Mansion waiting on you. Yeah, and this is incredible news, right? Because none of us live in mansions. If you do live in a mansion, praise God for you. I don't know why you have not invited me over yet. I've been very clear about that over the years. 
But no, most of us, I would guess all of us, don't live in a mansion. So the idea that one day we would get to live in a mansion, man, this is so incredible. In fact, you're doing some landscaping, heavenly landscaping, like in your mind. Uh, Amanda and I sometimes will be like, you know, I'd love for it to be Spanish, Mediterranean style with a big courtyard. It would just be amazing. Like, because the idea of having a mansion just sounds so great. And it does sound great. It's not true. It's not. I'm sorry. It's, it's not true. You're not, you're not getting a mansion. But you are getting something better than that. You're like, no, there's, there's nothing better than a mansion. Yeah, there's something better than a mansion. Because if you live in the guest house, you're a guest. But if you live in the main house, you're family. And Jesus doesn't say, I go to prepare a place for you down the street. Or in a cul-de-sac. He said, in my father's house are many rooms. And I'm going to prepare one of those rooms for you. He rescued you through forgiveness from the domain of darkness. And he delivered you into his own home. Now, I want to ask you to do something that's going to be painful for just a second, but I think it's going to be worth it. I want you to think through some of the worst things that you've ever done. So just take a second, and I know it's painful. I know you tucked it away a long time ago, but if you could just bring it back for just a second, I think it will be worth it. Maybe something you said one time, and now looking back, oh my gosh, you would never say that ever again. Maybe it's something you saw, looked at. Maybe it was the way you treated someone. What are some of the worst things that you've ever done? Now I want you to think about the worst thing that Jesus has ever done. Just think about it. What's the worst thing that he's ever done? My guess is that you did not have any problem making a list for yourself. And for me, I, I, at one point it got kind of overwhelming. Like, I think that's enough. That's enough. The list is long enough. But we struggled to find something that Jesus did that was wrong. And that we would share an address with him, that is grace and that is mercy. With our long list, and he does not have a list, that he would rescue us, and not only rescue us, because that seems benevolent, but to rescue us and say, I'm not just dropping you off. I'm taking you to my house. And it's not a temporary thing. You're not staying in the guest house. You're not staying down the street. I'm not going to check in on you every now and then. You're going to have a room in the Father's house with me. That is grace and that is mercy. And that is possible through forgiveness. See, but then we take on the attitude of the prodigal. in Luke chapter 15. When we hear that, when we see that, this is Jesus and all of his purity and righteousness and that he would rescue us and take us home with him. That's unbelievable. We took on the attitude of the prodigal. You remember the story? He goes away from his father, turns his back on his father, takes his father's money, spends it, wastes his life doing things that his father would not want him to do. Eventually he's being destroyed. So he says, I'm going to go home, but I can't go home as a son. I've already burned that bridge. I'm going to go home as just a servant and just ask the father, can I just be a servant? I've already ruined being a son. Can I just be a servant? 
So he goes home with his speech, and the father, you remember, accepts him as a son. But, it, but I feel like we take on that attitude. When we see grace and mercy, not just that he would do something nice for us, but that he would take us all the way in, we go, I'm not worthy of that. I feel bad about that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to work hard to pay you back. Where our forgiveness becomes a loan. You know, our salvation becomes a loan. I'm going to help you, but I expect some kind of repayment. And many of us are living in that state right now. We know that God has forgiven us. We, we've believed in Jesus. But right now, we are currently living in, I'm trying to pay it back. Because the scales are not balanced. He's done all of this and I've done nothing. I got to get it a little bit more even. And some of us think, well, we know we can't get it all the way even. But I, I just need to restore some of the equity in our relationship. And it's impossible. And that's not even something that God is asking you to do. Forgiveness was a gift that has been given to you. So to take our uncleanness and just try to work hard to cover it up and make it spell fresh is pointless. Or to be clean, but still think that you're unclean. It's tiresome. And many of us are totally weary right now in our faith. In fact, the overwhelming feeling right now in this room is I believe but I am tired. And it's because we thought we got loaned rescue. We thought that our salvation was a, a loan that we had to pay back, earn back. And it's not. It's a total gift. It's a total gift. And the third thing that I want you to see Forgiveness redeems and restores you. Forgiveness redeems and restores you. When Amanda and I got married, we started talking about where we were going on our honeymoon. And Amanda had never had a job. or not She didn't have a real job. She was coming straight out of college. And I had an amazing job that was a huge paycheck, like, $200 a week. It was really huge. It was awesome. And um, I was living in a borrowed house. I mean, so we had zero dollars, but somebody had given us some frequent flyer miles to go on our honeymoon. And we thought this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to get a gift like this. Where should we go? And we're like, we should go to Hawaii. Now we can't afford Hawaii. We can't afford a picture of Hawaii at the time, let alone to, to actually go to Hawaii. But I thought, we thought, okay, let's just scrape and save and steal, honestly, steal whatever we can do to get there. And we did. And we, listen, we spent all of our dollars in Hawaii, all of them. In fact, we were overdrawn on our account when we got back home. I've never told Amanda that, so don't tell her. She's not here today. Uh, but uh, I didn't even care. You know, I didn't even care. We lived off gift cards for a month because we went to Hawaii. And it was amazing. So this was the first time. Don't do that. That's bad financial advice, right? You get one time in your life to get overdrawn on your bank account. And after that, you're in trouble, right? And, uh, and so we get to our hotel. This is the first, what I would consider, nice hotel that I've ever stayed in in my whole life. Ever. This is like a nice place. Not the nicest place, because again, we're scraping and saving. 
But it's nice because my family growing up, we were motel people. Anybody else motel people? Here's the difference between a motel and a hotel. Your car and the door to your room are very close. That's how you know that you are in a motel. If there is little proximity between the vehicle that brought you to the hotel and your room, you are in a motel. And so we were a motel family uh, growing up in Missouri. And so it wasn't bad, but I, was th- I woke up early this morning to try to think, what is the nicest hotel I ever stayed at uh, before like this moment? And I think it was the Days Inn, which praise God for Days Inn. And listen, I'll still rock a Days Inn. When it's just Jackson and I, just the boys, we're staying in the one star, baby. That's where we're staying because it's cheap. And when Amanda's in the room, because I'm a good husband, we, I'll, I'll take it up to a two star. I'm not afraid. You know? But we walk into this lobby in Hawaii, and oh my gosh, it's the nicest room I've ever been in. It's, it's not even like a full room because it's like, it didn't even have all four walls. Because you're in Hawaii, they thought, why would we wall out Hawaii? So like, it's kind of a room. And it's just the most unbelievable thing that I've been in. I'm so excited to be there. But then I got this feeling on me, oh my gosh, I'm totally outclassed. Like, should I be here? I don't think I should be here. Like, this is such a gift of grace that I should not be in this room. I don't deserve it. This is not, this is not where I should be. And many of us are carrying that idea that God has saved us, but the fact that he would be with us, like, it just doesn't feel right. We, we feel like we're outclassed, like, we just we ended up in a group that we were not supposed to be on. But what I want you to see as we end here is not only has God rescued you, not only has He given you the same address, He redeems and restores you so you can stand up at that address. Listen, there is no person in heaven right now in the presence of God with their head held low in shame. There is no one in heaven right now of all the saints who have gone on before us who feel like they shouldn't be there. So if you have that attitude, like I'm going to get there, but just barely, that's not an attitude that you'll have forever. And so it's not an attitude that you should have here because he not only gives you his address, he redeems and props you up and restores you. I want you to see this. In John chapter 21, because it says in Colossians 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Redemption and restoration, John chapter 21. We're jumping into the middle of a story. You, you may be familiar with it. Peter, the disciple, one of the leaders of the disciple, if not the leaders. When Jesus was arrested, Peter had made some pretty bold claims. And he bailed. He got afraid and ran away. And not, not only did he run away, when somebody questioned him, like, hey, why aren't you with Jesus? He was embarrassed to know Jesus three times and claimed that he didn't. Jesus died. 
was put in a tomb. That tomb is empty. Peter saw that empty tomb with his own eyes. But the disciples are still kind of, what's going on? What's a lot of mystery. What is going on? And eventually they end up in Galilee just a few days after Jesus was raised. And they're back to fishing because that's what they did before. And they see a man walking along the beach. And they're like, who is that? And the man shouts something out to them. And they realize that is Jesus resurrected. So the disciples start trying to turn around the boat. They start pulling in all their fishing equipment. They start trying to turn the boat around to go back to the shore. But Peter, he doesn't have time for that. The Bible says he takes off his outer cloak and he just jumps into the water and he swims to the shore. And they end up meeting and this is what happens between Jesus and Peter in verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now that would have stung Peter because he was always claiming to be the best the best disciple, the most faithful, the most loyal. And then he's the one who denied Jesus. So that would have stung. Just as thinking through some of the things that we've done in our past may have stung a little bit. Peter felt that sting. And it was especially fresh to him. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus asked Simon Peter three times, do you love me? This little quiz, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. I think that was just a coincidence. I think third, three times is just a, a nice round number. No. What Jesus is doing is he's saying to Peter, to the degree that you have fallen is the degree that I will prop you back up. See, the great news is today, this, this dirty rag, this is me. This is me. This is my righteousness. This is my faithfulness. Still see some of the white in it, but... It's been a long time since it was pure. And what we need to know today is he's not just going to put you through the wash with all your stains. And and you come out a little less stained. Come out a little less unclean. No, he's going to prop you all the way back up. His forgiveness goes all the way through. And listen... Just like he was consistent and repetitive with Peter, he will be consistent and repetitive with you until you believe all of the forgiveness is for all of you. You feel like sometimes you can't get away from your past? It may just be that you keep thinking about it. It may be that God is bringing it back up until you will believe that that act has been forgiven. Not just a, oh yeah, hey, we're cool, you're forgiven. But his forgiveness for that sin, his forgiveness for that mistake. 
And he wants to restore you, redeem you, prop you back up. You were in the domain of darkness, no doubt about that. But you've been saved. You've been saved to a new address. You're not a guest. You're family in his house. And you don't have to be ashamed to be there. You are welcome. And you can hold your head up, sin and all, because that's how powerful the forgiveness of Jesus is. But you have to receive it. Everything was prepared ahead of time for you. This was already done before you were born. It's available. All you have to do is believe that it's for you. That Jesus purchased it. And now you will receive it. So why don't you stand to your feet with me. We're going to close our service today. Our prayer and ministry team is going to come forward and take their places as they do every week. Are you clean? You may be like, no, I'm not clean. If you are in Christ, then you are clean. So the question is not, are you clean? The question is, is are you in Christ? How have you been saved? Have you believed in Jesus? Because when you believe in Jesus, you get the righteousness of Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, you get the wholeness of Jesus and the holiness of Jesus. He shares that with you. Are you in Christ today? Because if you're not in Christ, forgiveness is outside of you. But forgiveness is available in Jesus. So as we turn to a time of ministry and prayer, if you're ready to be in Christ And just come forward as everyone else comes forward to pray and just say to one of these folks, I need to be in Christ. They'll know exactly what you're talking about. They'll pray with you, help you confess Jesus as Lord, and you will leave today clean and forgiven. And for the rest of us, if you are weary today because you've been trying to earn back something that was free, you're trying to clean up something that's already clean, and you want rest for your soul, come and pray. And specifically today, if you have someone that you care about that needs the forgiveness of Jesus, we'd love for you to come forward and pray so that someone can agree with you in that prayer. That person may never know that you prayed for them, but that prayer will make a difference in realms that we cannot see. God will use it. So Father, answer these prayers. For your good, for your glory, for your fame, and for our wholeness. In Jesus' name. Amen.